What is up, everybody? Welcome on in to a brand new edition of the Selby is Godcast. I'm TJ Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel. You can find us on Twitter at Selby is Godcast. If you'd like to slide into the DMs. And we do thank everybody that listens each and every single week. We are back. And it just feels a little bit different today, Zach, doesn't it? Why? Because it's cold outside and it's pretty much what the home opener is going to be like. So I'm just already thinking we're like in the sweet synergy of the weather not changing whatsoever over the next month and a half. No, I was kidding. You know what's crazy is spring training is underway and what's so weird is it's it's shorter this year, isn't it? Or maybe opening day is just moved up, but spring training doesn't seem like it's that much earlier than normal. Um, I mean, we're like six weeks from opening day. That's nuts. Yeah, there's no escaping at this point. Looks like Francisco Lindor is going to be at shortstop on opening day. That big blockbuster that we were expecting and talking about from the minute the offseason started never took place. But it did happen elsewhere. You did get Mookie Betts finally getting traded. So really, Zach, I think at this point, as we open here and having had so much happen between the last time we recorded a podcast, I, I just leave it to you. Do you want to go Mookie Betts trade finally going down? Do you want to go playoff realignment that apparently is being kicked around? Do you, you want to talk Domingo Santana and whether or not that physical is going all right? Are you in the room for that? I don't think you're allowed in the room. We could talk Jock Peterson, why he's not an Indian. I mean, I mean, just pick Anything you want here is 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 pretty much all go as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's funny because the last couple of years we've done this podcast and it seemed like every off-season episode was just us twiddling our thumbs and looking up at the sky and shouting, "Is anything ever going to happen?" And nothing <laughs> ever did. Um, and and this off-season in terms of the scandal the rumors, the big trades, the giant free agent contracts, and how quickly things moved in free agency. Like, it's what the NBA experiences every offseason. It's why, like, I think a lot of people think the NBA offseason is more exciting than the NBA season. And for once, MLB got a little taste of that. And it was nice. Like, I, I liked it. It was, we were able to remain interested in aspects of the sport and talk about the sport, have things to discuss pretty much the entire winter and that is seems like it's never the case um so it's nice that it's you know it's february and we still have so much to talk about instead of just you know in previous years we'd be like analyzing every position breakdown starting in early january because there was nothing else to to get us to spring training here we are in february and there's there's plenty on the docket for us to to analyze are you trying to say rob rob manfred is an evil genius is he no. is he old evil Mr. McMahon here, where he's just playing the role of heel and has got us talking MLB all off season? Well, what did Trevor Bauer call Rob Manfred? Because that's <laughs> he's probably somewhere in between the two, is my guess. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't think it was intended this way. He's <laughs> not when he originally drew up how this off season was off season was going to go, but it has been fun. You're right. Uh, it might not as it might not be what has been best for the sport as far as scandals go and people doubting outcomes and crying that hey we should have been World Series champion no we should have been World Series champion and now we're learning I mean I left out emails and dark arts and code breakers <laughs> there was other shit we could talk about too so yeah there hasn't been for as as much as past off seasons have just kind of been boring and it's been us trying to find something else to talk about and that's kind of what we anticipated when we went in this off season you know, what what kind of fun special things can we do we've actually had enough to just discuss on its own that uh, i i've enjoyed it so since you won't pick uh i will you mentioned before we started we we're talking a little bit about uh, people's opinions on playoff realignment and and how you make the regular season more impactful. And now we have reports of Rob Manfred and, and perhaps Major League Baseball looking to expand the playoffs in future years and realigning them in such a way that the top seed would get a bye and get to the, the rest of the, the was the second best division winner gets to pick their opponent and therefore maybe provide them with some clipboard material, some stuff to hang up in their locker because, uh, well, 
the Red Sox picked us, and we're going to go take them out. So what did you think about playoff realignment? Yeah, I think – I don't know. I, I don't want to sound like – I'm not an old-school baseball purist, and I'm, I'm willing to adopt change. But this was a little too – I don't know. Aggressive? Yeah. Here's here's my issue. The baseball playoffs are awesome. And casual fans get invested, especially early. It seems like like the wildcard games do really well. The winner-take-all circumstance, I think, helps that. But, you know, a lot of people talk about this the, the financial aspect and the business aspect of it and how you want more... You know, more postseason games equals more revenue and more national attention. And I think the ways – there are easy things that have needed to be done for a long time. And I think two things are, one, the division series should be a best of seven, not best of five. Uh, it, it, there's too much randomness that happens, and I think top seeds get penalized a little bit by it being a best of five instead of a best of seven. I've never understood why do why I feel that. like you're speaking from experience here? <laughs> well, we don't, it's too early in the podcast to bring up HPD, but, but I do think, I think that should be a best of seven. And it's, it's strange that it's been the way it is. The NBA, on the other hand, the fact that their first round is still best of seven, like it makes no sense other than the fact that why would they want to cut some postseason revenue? So it's like baseball, like what are, what are you doing? This should have been done decades ago. Uh, the other thing is uh, the wild card. I'd be fine with expanding that to a best of three, and maybe I know you don't want to give teams too much rest um, or you know really drag this out. So maybe you get creative. Maybe just play three games in three days at one venue. Maybe you do one game and then a doubleheader the next day. Whatever you want to do, but I, I feel like that should be a best of three. I'd prefer to try out those two things first and then see if you need to make some more progressive changes. But I, I don't know that you do. Um, I, I think this is just weird having like I, the, the idea of a draft is cool, but I, I you know, I, you're rewarding a lot of teams that maybe don't need to be rewarded. I don't know that like you look at the NBA and, and 16 of 30 teams make the playoffs. It's way too many. I think, I was looking at the, the standings the other day and like the Orlando Magic would make the playoffs and their record was like 22 and 31. It's like and then you get you get a best of seven series out of it. Like in baseball, the Indians won 93 games last year and they were sitting at home. You know, two other teams had to fight to the death at the end of September to win 96, 97 games. And then at a one game playoff. Like so I, there, there's got to be a happy medium in between the two. Um, and I th- what has been proposed is not that happy medium for me. I don't mind that they're kicking around even some crazy stuff. Uh, I, I don't think just because you've done it one way or kind of done it one way. I mean, they've expanded wild cards in recent years. And the fact that the wild card even exists, you know, goes back 25 years now. What is that? 20, a little over 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not like they haven't already made changes. So to just stand on top of a mountain and scream, I don't want my game changed. That doesn't really seem relevant because the game has already changed a lot. So how far back do you want to go? So I don't think that in itself is a, uh, an acceptable reason for not wanting to do it. And I don't have a problem if you want to think outside the box and think creatively, because even the craziest of ideas maybe has one small nugget of something that you do like, and you incorporate that in the future. I'm Mm -hmm. skeptical that this, the way that it was drawn up through reports is exactly what would take place and that it's a foregone conclusion. I'm not sure about all that. Uh, Maybe it's a bargaining chip in the future when they sit down for collective bargaining agreements uh well, I don't know. isn't the fact that it was leaked isn't part of that just so that they can gauge the temperature in the room sure sure i mean it's not like we haven't seen that happen in the past week and a half with trades that are leaked <laughs> and teams using that as leverage to get more out of trades after seeing fan reactions that couldn't have been what happened in boston uh and we'll get we'll get there we'll get to mookie uh and maybe the impact with the indians too but yeah i i, I understand the thought behind trying to make the regular season more fun, more 
invested for fans, give teams that are in the middle something else to play for. Uh, I appreciate that that's what they're trying to go for. I'm just skeptical that this is what would accomplish that. Uh, I, I think you mentioned the NBA. It, it seems a lot like that where instead of making the regular season more fun, I feel like you would make the regular season more boring in a yep. way of making the playoffs more fun. Now, we can have an argument on whether or not that's worth it. Do you throw away the the fun of a five, six-month journey to the playoffs and then ramp it up to be really fun and, and really increase revenues, really increase eyeballs on television sets in the playoffs? Is that better off for the sport? You could make a case that maybe it is, and I'll listen to that if you have a case to be made. I'm – I don't know that I'm ready to say that that it is because I look at the NBA. I mean, hell, the season starts and already a lot of people already claim that it the season doesn't, doesn't even really start until Christmas Day. And even then, it's not even that much fun until you get to the postseason. Well, yeah, um, the, the, the best I, players in the league team up and know that yeah, they just so need much to gear up for May. It, already, it doesn't matter yeah. what they do. So much is already decided and it just nothing seems to have consequence until you actually get to the postseason. So it just makes the regular season like a preseason for a lot of teams. And even the teams that are on the the borderline, would you say that you mentioned the Orlando Magic? I, mean, I haven't checked out standings. I don't know who's in, who's out, who would. I, mean, I just I don't really care. And maybe this is kind of speaks to that as far as the NBA goes. Uh, but our fans have the Orlando magic to use that example, waking up each and every day, like super geeked because of where they're at in the standings. It's a different sport and there's more randomness in the postseason. So if you make it to the dance, yeah, it's, it's more fun for a fan when you make it to the baseball playoffs, because you feel like you, even if you're facing the best team in the league, you at least have a small shot where in the NBA, you have none. But I just, I don't think it's going to accomplish what they want it to accomplish. I guess that's my point. Well, I have two things. Number one, I think you're yeah. And as you courage. speak, I'm gonna go get my coffee. And if my cat says hello, you can say hello back. Okay. <laughs> Number one, he was he was gone for three weeks. He deserves a spot on the podcast. That's true. Do you want to tell that story? <laughs> I could. Yeah. See, here he is. So in the middle of January, we have. Well, let me further set it up a little bit. In the basement of our house we have this little window and it shoots out underneath the the porch you can't if with enough force you can knock it open and one of the neighborhood cats knocked the window open and it came in our basement it's an outdoor cat and our cat snuck out and so for three weeks our cat was gone just completely vanished couldn't find him figured he's completely gone so then about a week ago or so, he came back and he is skin and bones. Doesn't look like he's eaten. He's been out in the cold. It's the winter. So it's not like if this happens in the summer. I guess I feel better about his chances to survive. But he comes back and he's other than being super skinny, he is completely all right and is back to just being himself. So somehow and this speaks to cats having nine lives, I suppose he Left for three weeks, probably hid under somebody's porch. I checked our own multiple times. Eventually, he did manage to make his way back, despite there being another outdoor cat that likes to fight with him. And our cat is not an outdoor cat whatsoever. He has no ability to survive outside for probably more than he did. So kudos to him. He came back. He just said hello on the podcast. So shout out, Zeus. Welcome back. I feel like that that's basically a parallel to... The year Carlos Santana spent in Philadelphia, <laughs> like everyone just pretends it never happened. We don't know what actually went on during that year. You hear and rumors of smashing TVs. Yeah. And he, you know, like Zeus didn't eat much and Santana didn't hit much. And, but you just you forget about it and you're reunited and everything's great. And the subject in question is happy to be home. Right. Um, uh. So back to the, the, the play. We're, we're very happy about Zeus. But back to the, the playoff thing. Number one, I feel like it's going to encourage teams to not make extra moves, not spend extra money, and just be content because they're seven, seven of 
15 teams in each league are going to make the playoffs. And if you can win 86 games, it's probably enough to get one of those wild cards. And you can tell your fans, hey, we're a playoff team. Like, stop bitching about us. And that's you never want to encourage that. Uh, and that bothers me, too. Um, and, and the second thing is, you know, I think about each league. You think about do the playoffs for that sport reflect like the best teams winning? It's weird because in the NBA, the regular season is, is pretty pointless. And, you know, if like if, if the super teams end up with the four seed, it doesn't matter because home or away, like they're still going to be there in the end. Um, so like the NBA is unnecessarily long maybe, and they've devalued the regular season, but usually at the end of the year, the best team wins. Major League Baseball, it's like, it's so weird because you play 162 games. The teams that win 102 games are the best teams in the league. I don't think anyone can really question that. Maybe a little bit with the unbalanced schedule, which is another thing that should probably be done away with in some capacity. Um, but then you get to the playoffs and it's just like this random race to the finish line. And it's it's such a change of pace from the regular season. So I, I do wonder if, if they want to change that at all. This scenario, I can't even wrap my head around how it would affect that. Um, but like I, I look at the NFL and I feel like they have it figured out probably the best. Where there's 32 teams, 12 of them make the playoffs. I feel like that's a pretty fair percentage. And you give the two best teams in each league a major advantage and, and let them have a bye. And I think all in all, that's probably as fair as it gets. And so I would, if I'm MLB, I'm trying to think of ways to take steps in that direction. And I'd be fine expanding the playoffs to six. But I think if you do something like that, you're going to have to, like, there needs to be, what would make everything simpler is if they expanded to 32 teams Split up into divisions of four like the NFL does. Do four division winners, two wild cards in each league, and and go from there. But there's there's so much that needs to be figured out. I'm telling you, I'm going to buy a timeshare in Maui in 2022 because I, I feel like there's so much for them to hammer out with this new collective bargaining agreement that <laughs> this strike could last a decade. Whew. Well, that would make the regular season – Pointless because there would be no regular season at that point. In other news, the Mookie Betts trade finally got finalized, and it wasn't in the original forum. Yet <laughs> other teams dragged along the way, uh, probably literally and figuratively. <laughs> um, you had deals that were separate not end up going through. So Jack Peterson stays in LA at least for now, which led to Indians fans on Twitter trying to will it to happen to get. <laughs> Jack Peterson to Cleveland. I like, but, I like that. That's great. Uh, Don't think but, it'll work like that, though. Probably not. But the Mookie Betts part is finalized. He goes to L.A. God, that team looks spectacular. They they finally did what we talked about at the beginning of the of the offseason. We wondered if they would finally do what they haven't done, which is just push more chips into the middle of the table. To their credit, just being able to take back some salary too. And having this be about a salary dump for Boston speaks to uh, another issue of its own, but they didn't have to give up the top, top prospects. They didn't have to give up Gavin Lux to get a superstar in there. And in, in that way, beyond just getting Mookie Betts, it has to feel like a victory for LA. Uh, but then you, you also think about, you know, all the, all the, of the talk about Lindor and all of the packages that, you and I and more tried to dream up and think about. And it, to me, it seeing what actually ended up happening makes all of our thoughts about this is the, the lowest thing that we would accept if we were the Indians position in the front office for Francisco Lindor. It makes it clear to me to see why he is still a member of the Indians today. Yeah, I mean, so the Dodgers have won seven straight NL West titles. They typically win 100 games. I know they haven't won a, a World Series, and that's – Obviously a, a key point there, but like they're going to be good for the next, I would say at least the next decade, right? I mean, they've got so much young talent, so much depth, such a good farm system, and they draft and develop as well as anybody. And then when they need to, they can spend money. I mean, they offered Garrett Cole $300 million. 
Um, they're able to take risks like signing Blake Train into a one-year deal that you know other teams who don't spend as much on their payroll couldn't do. So they are even what, taking back even taking back David Price that allows yeah. them to not have to give up top prospects. It's it's a killer combination to have smart people in your front office that know how to set themselves up for long-term success, but also have the 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 money asset to just throw out there whenever you need to. Sure. There there were times there was a time when the teams like the Rays and the Indians and Oakland were regarded as forward thinking, ahead of the curve, and it allowed them to build winners on shoestring budgets. And, you know, they focused on thinking progressively, drafting and developing really well. But now you have these teams with these massive payrolls who do those things just as well. And it's like, well, you can pencil the Dodgers and the Yankees in for 98 wins a season for the next 10 plus years because there's just going to be a constant churn of talent um, coming through the pipeline. And so it, it's it's crazy. Yeah, can, you even, the, can you even think of a scenario where that doesn't happen? Like what would have to happen for them not to be good for the next 10 years? Like a lot of their players getting coronavirus. I, I don't, I mean, I like I, it, it's the Dodgers are in such an advantageous position that they didn't have to give in to the Indians demands for Francisco Lindor. I mean, it's, it's nuts. They were able, I mean, they, the thing that's crazy about this trade and like Jeter Downs might end up being a good infielder and Verdugo should be able to hit. Like, I, I think the Red Sox, I think it sucks that they traded Mookie Betts. I think it sucks that they feel like they have to get under the luxury tax. And, you know, they they have done some poor spending in past years that is, is catching up to them. But, like... They also have a World Series to gain from that, yes, too. Yes, and, and the Dodgers end up getting Mookie Betts, and they also got Gratterall, who's, like... I know there are some questions about his injury history and whether he'll end up being a reliever, but, like... <laughs> I mean, we saw him pitch last year against the Indians. Like this dude throws 101 with Singh, yeah. and like it, he's got a chance to be nasty. And then he, I mean, he could play a huge role in their their bullpen. Is probably the part of their roster that maybe looks the most flimsy. And they just acquired a young guy with barely any service time that they could have for the next seven years out in their bullpen, throwing 100 miles an hour to replace Kenley Jansen. Like it's, it, it's. There's so much you can do when you have the resources that these these juggernauts have, and it just creates a dis- even wider disparity between the haves and the have-nots. So I, I, you know, it's interesting. Like there are a few teams that could have been able to pull off that trade. The Dodgers are obviously one, but it, it's amazing that they. You get into a position where you basically can just choose what you want to do, and you're going to have a great team no matter which option you choose. But they were able to choose the one like. <laughs> they who would have thought that they'd have Mookie Betts and Gavin Lux on the same roster? Like, yeah, you would have like, thought they, that they would have gone for Lindor and traded Lux, or like, no, you end up holding on to the the top prospect in the game, and you acquire maybe the second best player in the game. Yeah, the fact that they did both is uh, a testament to them for winning within the parameters of the sport the way it is drawn up now, and for all the talk about well that makes baseball unfair. Maybe to a certain extent, but I don't blame the Dodgers for figuring out. I mean, they haven't won a World Series, so you could say, hey, it hasn't ultimately worked out the way that you would want. Now, they've been there every each and every single year, and I think you'd take that. Uh, well, and they probably have as good a chance as anyone of re-signing Mookie Betts, too. Yeah, yeah. That's no, what's I crazy mean, about this. Yeah, that's, that's true as well. Um, and they also get the benefit of being able to offer him a qualifying offer, too, because he'll be with them for the entire year, so that – uh, hurts a little bit less too for them if he does end up signing elsewhere as opposed to someone acquiring somebody midway through the year. So yeah, all the benefits thrown at them. I understand from a Red Sox perspective if the the thought was there's no way we're going to be able to resign him and they traded him, I could understand that aspect. We've talked about that with Francisco Lindor, that if you just feel like you can't resign him then you, if, if your option is get some draft compensation for him or try to get some stars now, then I, I get that. The problem with the Red Sox portion of this is they did treat it like a salary dump. 
and getting under the luxury tax was a big benefit to them. And it's why they didn't get as much back in the trade as they, they should have for a guy like Mookie Betts, even for one year. And I don't think the guys that they got back are bad, but they sh- probably should have done better. And they would have done better if they didn't prioritize money in this sort of deal. So it is weird to see. Uh, we see Boston operating this way. We've seen the Cubs cry poor all offseason. I mean, hell, they could have used Cesar Hernandez at second base. And somehow the Indians got him over the Cubs because the Cubs have zero money to spend. So it's it's a weird time. Even though they game. just unveiled that trillion dollar TV network. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what understand. becomes of that. Uh, so I, I can understand why there is unrest from fans, unrest from players. Uh, not all of it adds up. And I'm not going to be uh, – I can't sit here today and say that I know all the all, all of what ails the game, and this is what I would do to fix it because I don't think I'm smart enough to be able to figure all that out. I am smart enough to see that not all of it does add up into into something you feel like it should. So, yeah, I mean it – I kind of fluctuate. I always feel like the, the Armageddon scenario that people try to paint at the worst of times is never quite right. You know, it's, it, well, it's a certainty that you're going to have this work stoppage. And I'm always like, ah, let's pump the brakes. I'm not quite sure about that. Everyone kind of has a an invested interest in keeping the game going from a lot of different perspectives. But this this offseason, again, just the, the weird things that happen does make it at least a little bit believe maybe maybe it is a possibility. Maybe we do see some 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 legitimate fighting between these two sides that that does lead to a work stoppage. I don't so the other out, the other result of the the trade going through the hell it went through before it was finally um, agreed upon was Jock Peterson is still a Dodger at the time we are recording this. Do you think he would be a good fit for the Indians? Oh God, just check every text message I've sent you this winter. How many times have I texted you his name? What would you trade for Jock Peterson? Jock Peterson question mark. Hey, what about Jack Peterson? And then the other day you hit me with, why not go get Jack Peterson? And I'm like, <laughs> Michael Scott, thank you, dot gif. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't say, I never saved your number, so I didn't realize it was the same. Uh, screw you. Uh, I mean, he's, okay, so like this probably isn't going to happen, but he makes $7.75 million this year, and then he hits free agency. You know the Dodgers want to trade him because they have too many guys in their outfields. I know they got to clear some 40 man spots. Um, they That's what Tyler White was him. for. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. They had Before agreed to trade him. So um, it clearly like the leverage does not really reside with the Dodgers unless they feel like they can use him somehow still. But I mean, he destroys right-handed pitching. As like as definitely as well as anyone on the Indians and like as well as most people in the league, he cannot hit lefties. Well, Jordan Luplo absolutely destroys lefties as well as anyone in the league, and we don't know if he can hit righties. You could find that out. You don't necessarily want to bank on him being able to, but you put those two together and like truly their numbers in a platoon would be like Mike Trout-like, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, I, don't want, I want to stop myself saying anybody is Mike Trout-like. But it would be an all-star level player from two players, no doubt. And Luplo's is making it, the minimum, so it's not like you're yeah, overspending it, for one position. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get, I get the whole aspect of trading for a platoon outfielder with one year left of sure. control. Sure. You don't want to give up too much for that. I mean, I, I get all of that from a front office standpoint, but God, he fits the roster as good as anybody that you could probably find that is available. He, he should be, and I accent should be affordable despite whatever they're saying. And if he's not affordable, then you got some major problems. And we'll also tie this to Domingo Santana because this what I, what I wrote a couple of days or yesterday, whatever day it was. Uh, if you look at the Domingo Santana versus Yasiel Puig argument, if you line them up projection-wise, strictly offensively, because really that's all they care about right now, because you're probably looking at DH at-bats if they're truly committed to Framiel Reyes playing the outfield. 
So if that's the case, I'm throwing out defensive stats and I'm looking strictly at offense. And Domingo Santana and Yasiel Puig are pretty similar as far as total production goes. Mm -hmm. So is it worthwhile to say that signing Santana to whatever the guarantee ends up being? There's reports that it's a little over a million dollars. I'm sure it's performance based, too. So maybe makes a little bit more once the deal is finalized. Uh, But if you're just saying, was Santana the smarter addition because they're they're very similar offensive players, at least projection wise. And I could say, yeah, but it's more impactful if you you are using the savings between the two. We don't know what Puig would even sign for yet because he's not signed. But if you're using the savings between the two to upgrade the rest of your roster before opening day, then yes, absolutely. It is, I think, a, a very chess-like move to go with Santana and try to upgrade the roster over going with just Puig. Now, having said yeah. all of that, guess what, yeah. Zach? I don't think they're going to use that savings to upgrade the rest of the roster. So the only person that tr- is truly benefiting is ownership who gets to whatever, try to come back breaking even, as they would say. And I don't think there's a clear benefit to anybody else besides just the people that get to keep that extra couple million dollars. I think the the issue to me is that Santana is such a liability defensively that it forces you, like they believe Framil Reyes can play right field on a regular basis now. That's what you're you're cornering yourself into that alignment. Puig would just be your everyday outfielder, and you could play Framil in the outfield if you really want, or you could put him at DH, and your defense would be better. Um, I don't know. I I'm fine with Santana. They needed to do something, and Santana's yeah. metrics indicating he's you know he could be a solid solid hitter. It's good. Like they need power, so that's that's a nice addition. He strikes out like crazy, but you know you can always use alternate wind energy sources, so that's good. <laughs> I don't know. Two I, of the top I, six strikeout artists, I'm by the way, in baseball now part yeah. of your lineup. I'm fine with it, but I I think the thing that bugs me, and I don't want to just harp on payroll and say Dolan's cheap, and I know people have bitched about us talking too much about the payroll, even though it's like, well, how do you – we've said it's like it's hard to talk about certain parts of the roster without talking about what they're lacking, and they're lacking those things because of the payroll. But it's like you can't let $7 million be the difference between you potentially winning the division and not. And especially when you've already shed payroll. I mean, they, the payroll is 25% lower than what it was last year. Yeah. It's like 30% lower than what it was the year before that. So it's like, I don't think Jock Peterson is the difference between you maybe winning the World Series and not. But it's like, I mean, the guy was a more than a three-win player last year and does that without hitting lefties. And, like, I saw a local, I saw someone local write that, like, this couldn't really happen because you've got Greg Allen and Bradley Zimmer and like the Dodgers probably wouldn't take those guys back. And it's like, okay, how, how does that matter? Like you're not letting Greg Allen stand in the way of getting a proven player who can hit you 30 home runs and start, you know, 120 games for you. Like it's, if I have to DFA Greg Allen to sign a guy who, you know, put on a huge display in the home run derby, Right before your very eyes last summer, like uh, that's not gonna happen. So I don't know. It, it's a shame that like I, I hope money wouldn't stand in the way. You know, if the, if the Indians don't want to part with the sort of prospect that the Dodgers would want, I understand that. Like, if they exactly. don't give up Tyler Freeman because he might be the heir apparent to Francisco Lindor, then that's fine. I, I I can get that. But like, if you can get Jock Peterson and it only costs you Yu Chang and Eli Morgan, like, tell me where to sign my name. So. It, that's kind of my take on it, but obviously I'm not, you know, and I tweeted out that Jack Peterson would be the perfect fit. This is a very obvious tweet. I was never saying that, like, you know, I'm not like begging Chris Antonetti to sign the guy. I had a couple people be like, give it up. It's not going to happen. I'm like, I'm not saying that is like, I can tweet out Mike Trout would be a perfect fit for the Indians, but I'm not saying that that's, that's going to be, that's going to happen. I'm just, you know, it's, it's very clear where they could use help because you don't, you don't want to spend April and May trying to figure out if Jake Bowers is a major leaguer. Because if he's not, then you're going to limp into July and be forced to trade Francisco Lindor. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm with you. If the if the problem here of the holdup is you don't want to part with the prospects, that part I get. If it's anything financially based, uh, or at least more more so than the the prospect cost, then I don't get it. Uh, because it's not like you're making a, a, a huge investment here. It's not a multi-year investment. Uh, it, it's a one-year thing. And the old saying is there's no one bad one-year commitments. Uh, and certainly not in this case, because he is somebody that would absolutely fit the roster. I think there are other players that are still out there that would be fine additions at the right price that I think would be beneficial to entertain. I still... I still question this. This lineup needs a left-handed presence from somebody else, because <laughs> as odd as it is to say, the problem right now isn't right-handed power bats. They've got enough of that. Uh, I'm concerned about how you balance out the rest of the lineup. Maybe Daniel Johnson. How the turntables have cha- have yeah. turned. Yeah, yeah, you fucked that up. Um, I just think it has to come from another part of this lineup has to be left-handed oriented because maybe Jordan Luplo is okay against righties and maybe that works out, but I'm, I still look at this lineup the way that it potentially looks against right-handed pitching. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not that enthused about it. I think they'll be fine against lefties. In fact, I think they will be actually pretty good against left-handed pitching this year. I think they'll fare fare pretty well against Southpaws. So that part I'm not concerned about. Even Delino to shields can play a role against lefties. But against right-handed pitching, ugh. and God, there's a guy out there that crushes right-handed pitching, and there's a clear need for the team that he's currently on to shop him. It just seems like a marriage, and it's not like they haven't had discussions. This is a cold call. You've never had any sort of discussions with the Dodgers before. You know exactly who they value and who they don't. It just seems like it would be the perfect fit, but... Uh, I'm with the, the the person in your Twitter mentions. Give it up, man. It's not going to happen. Well, I just I, I don't understand how they're going to determine whether Jake Bowers is the guy, Daniel Johnson. How where's Bradley Zimmer fit in all this? Poor Greg Allen. Like I don't. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, as we're recording this, the Domingo Santana move is not official yet. I, I think he was taking his physical, I want to say today or tomorrow. Um, I don't know what the 40-man move will be. Like, does Greg Allen survive that? Are they going to have 10 outfielders on the 40-man roster? I mean, I guess you could get rid of a reliever, but they also don't have a ton of relievers on the 40-man. Um, there's just, there, I don't I don't know how all these pieces fit. And I know you don't, you're not, always going to know how all the pieces fit by opening day. But like they learned last year, you get off to a slow start. You might not have time to catch up or you might finally catch up, but you might be so worn out from catching up that you fall apart in the end. Um, you don't want to do that. You want to hit the ground running in April. It's what the twins did last year. And it's just, it's hard to see how this is all going to come together quickly when we don't, like, I don't know where Jake Bowers fits or what he's capable of. I don't know if Jordan Luplo can hit righties. I don't know if Daniel Johnson's ready. I don't know when Tyler Naquin will be ready. I don't know how Bradley Zimmer or Greg Allen fit into this equation. I don't know if the front office is going to let Terry Francona play Delino to Shields for 162 games like it sounds like he wants to. So I... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how this is all going to fit together. I think there's talent there. I think maybe even more talent than we've all given them credit for. Daniel Johnson's really intriguing. I'd love to see him play. As for as abysmal as Jake Bowers was last season, like there's talent in there, and there's something that they've seen in him that they covet. Um, I just, it's like, how long does it take to figure it out? Can you, can you, can you figure it out before it's too late? And I don't, I don't know. There, there's too much on the line for me to feel comfortable with all that risk. That's how I would feel if I was a front office member. And that's why I'd be doing everything in my power to minimize that risk this year because, the, you know, the future of the franchise kind of hinges on it. Like, it, it is a legitimate concern that if, if they are out, feel like they're out of the race in July, they should trade Francisco Lindor while he's got two postseason runs left uh, of team control 
and you can get a lot more than you could get in the offseason. And I know the Mookie Betts trade shows that you can still get something, a decent amount for one year of a guy, but you can get so much more for two years. And if the, there's no, if you're out of the race, there's no reason to hang on to him for those last couple months anyway. But this is a – every podcast I have a long-winded response, and this is that to say I would be doing everything in my power to minimize, reduce the chances – that I will end up being in a position where I feel cornered into trading Francisco Lindor in July and, you know, trotting out Jake Bowers or Bradley Zimmer or someone like that on opening day and, and just praying for the best doesn't seem like the smartest move. That's all right. You can talk for 10 minutes about risk. I can tell cat stories. It's what makes this podcast, this podcast. Final thing. Uh, for this episode, Picota, the projection win standings are out. Minnesota Twins, no surprise, at the top of the division as far as their simulations go. Cleveland Indians second, Chicago White Sox third, and no one cares about the Tigers and Royals, including their their projections. Uh, any surprise there about win total projections? They've got Twins 93.4, Indians 86.1. White Sox, 82.5. No, it sounds good to me. I would probably, I think the Twins seem like a 93-win team. I'd probably put the Indians at like 86, 87. I'd probably put the White Sox a little higher, maybe like 85. Um, Yeah, we did an AL Central roundtable on The Athletic this week, and I didn't notice it the first time I read it, but I think like the second or third time I read through, I noticed James Fagan, our, our White Sox guy, wrote, we all made our predictions for the division. He put like Twins first, White Sox second, Indians third, Royals fourth. I didn't realize he he then put Tigers seventh. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's the Tigers and Royals. I mean, the Royals you got a World Series. If you're a Tigers fan, whew, feel for you because that is a brutal rebuild, and you don't have a shiny trophy from a few years ago to look back upon to make it a little bit easier to stomach. Nope. Um, and it is weird as we sit here today. We've said it multiple times this off season, but I read through your uh, your article and the thing that stands out more than anything is there's so much hope in what Dan wrote with James, what he wrote. And with you, it's just dripping with cynicism and anger <laughs> and disappointment. Um, and it's it's so weird, as we've mentioned many times. To say that and have that be a reality and I think have that be a narrative going into spring training for a team that is still pretty good feels weird. And maybe we spend too much time talking about all the things that could go wrong and not talk enough about the things that could go right. There are some things here in this season that are going to be fun to watch. I can't wait to see James Carrick yeah. and Emmanuel Claus say go back to back seventh and eighth inning setting up for Brad Hand who – could very well be just as good as he was in the first half. Could see that Brad Hand again. Um, just because he did have some struggles in the second half doesn't mean that he's going to go out there and just be dog crap for this year. Maybe he's not quite as good, but I still think he's going to be probably a pretty good pitcher and a fine guy to have in the ninth inning. I think that bullpen has uh, a, an opportunity to be better than expected and probably in the upper echelon of the American League. There are a number of younger players here. Uh, outside of the bullpen, you've got guys in the rotation and other guys uh, behind them that could potentially slide in if there is some some regression, some second half or some sophomore slumps that take place with Aaron Savali or or Zach Plesak. Uh You have Adam Plutko, who was actually semi-OK in the second half once given an opportunity. I'm interested to see. Because he seems like a smart, cerebral guy. If he can make some adjustments going into this year, it doesn't have options. But even if he falters, you've got some guys there that could slide in and are, are very interesting. Very interesting arms. Guys that were top 100 prospect talents very recently and still potentially have that talent within them. Um, to have a, a full season of Fran Mill Reyes, not have him shifting in the middle of the year, uh, going to a new team. Yeah, I know you've laid out your prediction before. Uh, it's not – I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that a guy that is as young as him can't continue to make adjustments, can't continue to develop and become a better or at least a, a different version, a hitter that we haven't seen before. 
there are a number of things that we could spend probably 20 minutes to a half an hour on a podcast talking about. Maybe we should do that at some point this spring so it's not all just dreadful, all the things that could go wrong talk. There are some things to feel good about with this team. And to say that they are behind the Twins right now in the projections, I still feel good about saying the Twins, Indians, and White Sox, you can make a case for all of them winning the division, and it's not mm-hmm. like the whole wish in one hand and shit in the other and see which comes you know comes true first. It is legitimate that all what? three of those teams could could potentially win this division. I'm sorry. Can you explain that one to me? Wish in one hand, shit in the other, see which fills up first. Isn't that the the saying? I, God, I, don't, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I I'm, I disagree with you. I, I didn't think I, it was that cynical of an assessment. No. Okay. Um, I think well, I think the difference is. I mean, Dan Hayes' twins analysis is like written with like the touch <laughs> of like Disney. Um, <laughs> and the White Sox. I mean, I just is, kind of envisioned him penning it out. And remember those pens that would like write in glitter. Yep. <laughs> that's that's kind of how I envision him writing his his projections for this year. If you're a White Sox fan, I mean, you're in like the most fun part of the rebuilding process where there's not a ton of pressure yet. Um, I think the goal is to like have a winning season, but like there's so much potential, especially in that lineup that you could surprise some people. Um, and, with, and I think so those two juxtaposed against where the Indians are right now, maybe make it seem a little more cynical than, than I intended. But I, I mean, I said, I think like there's the, the pitching depth, even if like there's some regression from Bieber or Plesak and Savali or wherever, there's enough depth and talent to give them a, a pretty solid baseline where it's like a lot would have to go wrong for them to be a losing team this year. Um, yeah. I just, I just think they don't have a ton of margin for error in their lineup. Like you can't, I think the, the point I kept making was they cannot afford injuries or lengthy slumps from Lindor, Framil Reyes, Carlos Santana, and Jose Ramirez. That's that's the bottom line. If those four guys play like stars, then they certainly could win the division. I mean, I think we both have said on this podcast the bullpen is super intriguing. Even in addition to the guys you mentioned, you think about late in the season – Okay, well, your rotation's clicking. All right, let's put Logan Allen and Tristan McKenzie and Jeffrey Rodriguez in the bullpen and turn them loose. Uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see, we see your three batter minimum rule, Rob Manfred, and we raise you, you know, a couple of recent top 100 prospects who can throw hard and doesn't matter if they're facing a lefty or a righty. Um, so there, there's, there's certainly promise. I feel like with the Indians, there's just like there's a lot of ifs that have to go right. You need a lot of guys who got a taste of the major leagues last year to take steps forward instead of steps back. You got to stay healthy. And, you know, if things go right and maybe some things go wrong for the twins, you certainly can win the division. It's, it's, we've seen teams win 95 games with less talent and less um, encouragement going into the season. So it's, it, th- it wouldn't be shocking. Do you think it's easier to be more encouraged about a team when they have everyday players as opposed to pitching? My point being the Indians, feel pretty good about their pitching, maybe really good about their pitching. They have two star-level guys in Clevenger and Bieber. Carrasco was once a top-ten pitcher in the game, um, and if healthy, there's reason to believe he could get back somewhere close to that level. So it's not like the, the rotation looks dreadful. I mean, there, there are ifs and question marks, but you feel like you have enough guys to throw at it that you should be able to figure it out. The bullpen is intriguing, but what it's to me, it's like when you look at the everyday lineup and you see the holes there, that's where it's easier to get a, a cynical or a negative thought about your team when it's mm-hmm. the everyday guys that seem like the whole, the lineup that's out there every single day, as opposed to if you, let's, let's say if you have a rotation that has holes in the three, four and five parts of your, of your roster, you're still running out a lineup that's really good every single day. And you feel like you're going to be able to put up an off offense that probably overcome or at least get close with your pitching. I feel like that maybe it's just easier to be optimistic when it's your lineup that looks tremendous and the rest of the roster doesn't look all that great. Am I off base? No, I mean, you might be right. I, I don't know. I've never really thought about it like that. I, I, I think there's a lot of talent on this 40-man roster, I'm not sure who the best 26 players are. 
and I like I I there's a lot of there there are more questions and probably more spring competitions than the Indians have had I don't maybe in Terry Francona's entire tenure here um so I I don't know there's just there's so much uncertainty and so much someone asked me this in, in my mailbag earlier this week where they were like you know the Indians won 93 games last year but all they did in the offseason was get Cesar Hernandez and they lost Corey Kluber. So, like, how could they possibly be better than last season? And, like, so aren't they just – doesn't that mean they're going to be worse or maybe the same? And and we, we lose sight every offseason we do this. We're all guilty of it. And we lose sight of the fact that every season is its own entity. It's why it's so difficult – to repeat as a champion. No one's done it in 20 years. And it's really tough to even make the playoffs multiple years in a row. It's, it's a lot easier for the Yankees and the Dodgers when they are such well-run organizations and have huge payrolls and they can absorb misses and they have more margin for error. But it's really, really difficult to sustain things because so many guys improve from one year to the next, maybe that you didn't anticipate. So many guys regress for various reasons, injury-related, or maybe something mechanical is just out of whack, and you can't really reset it until the offseason. Um, it's just there, there's so many moving parts year to year that you can't just – I mean, we both said it. The Twins won 101 games last year. I think we both agree, like, their roster's probably better in 2020, but we don't think they're going to win 101 games. You know, I think 93 sounds about right. Um, it's just every season is different. And, and there's so much we don't know and we can't predict. And when you, you sit here for a few months and you analyze what a team did over the winter, what it didn't do over the winter, you kind of lose sight of that. Um, and I think the Indians, you know, more than most teams, have so many guys who could swing one way or the other because they either lack experience, they were hurt mm-hmm. last year, um, you know, or or they were acquired and we just haven't seen a ton of them. And that makes them interesting and it makes them unpredictable. I mean, you, they could win 81 games. They could win 100 games. I don't think I would be shocked by either outcome. Um, but I think it'll probably fall somewhere in the middle just because some of those guys will improve. Some of those guys will regress. That's just how it works. And none of it will be because of what happened last season. Yeah, I mean, going into 2016, I'm not sure that I – projected that team to be ready to do what they accomplished um last year going into the season pretty much every projection system had the indians as the best team in the american league central and the twins uh, somewhere around 500 and what ended up happening it's not the projections being wrong it's just the outcomes change sometimes projections can't take everything into account um and sometimes fluky stuff happens. You, sometimes you have injuries. Somebody pointed out, and, and this is a fair point, that if you look at uh, like the Zips projections and what they think of the Indians' rotation, compare that to what they thought of the Indians' rotation last year, and you can say there are some question marks. It's not a, a just set in stone like it felt for so many years about this rotation just being great. Mm-hmm. Because you look at last year, and they were projected to be like five, six wins better from their rotation. And that is a, a fair point to make. But I could also come back and say three of those guys didn't make it through the entire season. Corey Kluber was hurt, wasn't himself even when he did pitch. Carlos Carrasco, God bless him, missed a huge chunk of the season because of his health. And Trevor Bauer got traded at the end of July, and they still won 93 games last year. So it's not like, yes, they were projected to to be better last year than they were going into this year. But sometimes crazy shit happens, and I don't know that you can necessarily just say, well, they were projected to be better last year, so there are some question marks about this year. There are their own question marks this year about the rotation because you have young guys in there that don't have a lot of proven success. Even Aaron Savali, as much as I am willing to buy stock in Aaron Savali, there are red flags there. There are things that are semi-questionable. There are the fact he didn't. He barely got hit hard at all, at least from a consistency standpoint. Like, you look at his barrel rate to go into StatCast stats, and he's among the best in baseball. Is that going to roll into this year? Is that just going to happen again, that you're just going to limit that sort of elite contact? I don't know that he can replicate that. I mean, there are things, red flags about this team 
that you can very easily point to. But I think in that in that realm, you also have to remember crazy shit happened last year, and this team still found a way to win 93 games. Yeah, and I think there are just underlying factors that no projection system can take into account. I mean, I think about the Indians are going to have Brian Sweeney, who's all about advanced data and has, has made such a huge impact on the Indians that he's keeps getting promoted in the organization. He's, he's going to be your bullpen coach. You're going to have Ruben Niebla on the major league staff all season. You ask any pitcher in the organization who's been like the number one influence on their development. They will all say Ruben Niebla. You're going to have him with the major league staff all year and able to help Plesak and Savali. And if Logan Allen and Tristan McKenzie and Jeffrey Rodriguez come up, he can help them. He's bilingual. Nothing can get in the way there. I mean, it's like resources like that, that you, you can't put a number on that. I mean, is that going to lead to the Indians winning one or two more games? Who knows? But it, it's, it's yeah, and every, reason... every team feels like they're doing that sort of thing too. In the off season, everybody sure, but... comes in in the best shape of their life. essentially. No, but I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's a difference from last year that might lead to certain players sure. improving more than they would have or regressing less than they would have. And so it's there. I mean, there are underlying factors all over the place. It's why like the projection systems are good and they're helpful, but they certainly don't mean everything. And, and it's, it's from season to season, just because you did something last year or something happened last year, that doesn't mean that's how it's going to be in 2020. You can use it as a baseline. You can use it to try to launch yourself into the projection or, or analysis you're going to make, but things are different. And, and so uh, it's, you know, every year is different. It's why for as cynical as you can be about the Indians offseason, it's you can't rule out the fact that they could possibly win the division. We don't know. Well, shout out to the optimists that made it all the way through to the end of the podcast. You made it through 45 minutes of us shitting on your team. Here's 15 minutes of it being maybe all right. Uh, I want to thank everybody for coming out to Matt Lodi's Sports Trivia Night fundraiser last week. It was awesome. We raised a ton of money for him. Um, quite a turnout. I think we had a hundred and somewhere around like 170, 180 people. Um, pretty crazy. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. Um, some of the raffle prizes that people ended up donating were were great. Even though Daryl Ryder kept winning all of them um man like it yeah my my wife my wife won one of those and she's like well go go up there and and claim the prize it's like i'm not going up there and getting tomatoes thrown at me (laughs) uh daryl Ryder won what did he win like i think an oscar robertson signed basketball and then he won something else and he comes up and like people were giving him shit so he's like all right all right fine so I let him pick a different winning ticket, and of course, the winning ticket he picks is also his own. <laughs> Dangerous Daryl Ryder. Um, but it was it was a great time. I know Matt Lodi really appreciated it. Um, and you know, we'll have to maybe we can make that like a a regular thing for for a good cause once a year or twice a year or something. Maybe we can do it. Uh, I know there are a few people who were there who and, and who we saw at Tribe Fest who shouted us out they said they enjoyed the podcast um maybe we can do a a live podcast trivia night for charity or something i don't know the fun run for rabies exactly and it'd be so much better than a recorded one for sure uh you could subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts, google stitcher spotify wherever you happen to listen to podcasts really at this point and we do thank each and every single one of you that helps support the podcast over at Anchor. If you'd like to help support the podcast, keep this thing going every week and bringing you the freshest of cynical Indians takes, you can help us out over at Anchor. And you can follow us at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel on Twitter, as well as at Selby is Godcast. And we post the most recent episodes there, but we also welcome those of you that want to slide into the DMs. We do read pretty much all of those. Sometimes we, we grab some questions from there. And uh, or plan to use them for future podcasts. So we do appreciate all of you that, uh, that keep us going each and every single week. 
Yeah, it's going to be fun to actually have like new developments to talk about, on-field stuff. Yeah, and we have yes. to do, I think it needs to be a new annual tradition where we record a podcast while sitting in the stands watching <laughs> a spring training game that, you know, while number 87 is on the mound pitching, we can talk about yeah, there's, how Jake Bowers looks. There's nothing quite like the the ambiance of the background, the, just the buzz of people just happen to be at a spring training game. Something about spring training is great because it is baseball and you're sitting there in great weather, but no one gives a shit about the outcome. And you've got crack of the bat. You've got pop of the mitts. You've got things actually taking place. And above all else, you've got happy. That song from whoever the hell recorded that thing playing on loop. Yeah, Pharrell. <laughs> You've got that playing in every single hit that you missed from 2008. Got some Akon coming. I don't, I don't know what a Lincoln Park. <laughs> yeah. Remember yeah, some black, like... black Eyed Peas probably somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anything else you could think of from your 2008-2009 hit mix is, uh, is in that CD that they got over there at Goodyear Ballpark. And I cannot wait to hear it. It's been so long. Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us. And we'll catch you next time. See you. The Selvius Godcast, featuring Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi, is presented by our supporters at Anchor. To help support the podcast, visit anchor.fm slash Godcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, be sure to leave us a five-star review. And if you have suggestions, drop us a DM on Twitter at Godcast. Thanks for listening.